and welcome to Disruptive Narratives Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Lewis. And I'm producer Miranda Wilson. In these episodes, we will be highlighting people who are impacted by histories and systemic processes of neglect and disinvestment, but do not have a seat at the table and may not feel seen. This is a space for people that are in a place of radically reimagining a path forward, but not necessarily a space for those who are unpersuaded by the need for a better world where Black futures matter. We are focused on sharing perspectives that are often unshared or unheard because they challenge what we think we know. In this podcast, guests are the experts of their realities. So in this second conversation with Stacey Bell, we're hearing more about how she has opted out of the choices set before her and found a new way to move forward. And we start with a poem that she wrote. Yes. I thought it was so dope, that poem. It is. It is. It is, it is in her own voice, whether she's reading it or not. Mm-hmm. To eat to live. To eat to live is different for me than it is for you. The abuse on this brown skin has been tried and true. To eat to live is different for me than it is for you. I've had to watch my daughter grow up from middle school to age 25 in these sex-trafficked, abusive Minnesota streets, and there has been nothing that I can do. To eat to live is different for me than it is for you. My brown body exhibits the results of slavery. Yes, they call that disparities, and that is nothing new. To eat to live is different for me than it is for you. You see, I am trying to live to eat and remember how to chew and swallow too. As I'm listening to you share um, what sounds like what you have to give up to be free, I'm wondering what you can share with us about this is the politics of your healing journey because you're talking about healing. You're talking about letting go and different forms of acceptance. And unfortunately, I feel like there's a lot of people in the world that will never get to where you are. They'll never get to that place of accepting and or willing to let go of this illusion of what success looks like in order to walk into the freedom of what it should be for them, which is different for every person, right? And I think about that for myself. You know, in my profession, success looks like becoming a tenured professor at a university. And I was going down that path. And I realized that all my brilliance was only being used for privileged white students in, you know, well-resourced academic institution. It was not being utilized for the people that I love the most, the folks that sustain me, my community. You know, I quit my job. Um, I moved back to the Twin Cities. Um, and I had to reevaluate what success really looked like um, and what I wanted my own legacy to be, what I wanted to teach and show my girls, um, and the kind of communities and relationships I wanted to sustain. And some folks thought I was kind of crazy, <laughs> but I really followed my heart and I had to give up a lot, right? I had to give up this notion of success. So let's just be honest, it wasn't meant for me. Um, So when I hear you, it is life-affirming 
Because when you find like-minded souls, it reminds you that you're doing the right thing. You know, I would love um, if you share, like, what has this healing journey been for you? How does gardening play a role in that healing journey? How does acting play a role in that healing journey? And perhaps, you know, are there other folks that you're mentoring in this space, you know, that have gravitated towards you and you're supporting in their journeys? And what does that look like? I think at this moment, the only people I was really influencing was like my Facebook friends and family. But that space is like really damaging and confusing. And so I've removed myself from that space. So I don't really know like how to really reach people the way I did. And I know that leaving that space was very like hard for some people because I think they really were watching me. I know that I had to figure out that whatever I've done in my lifetime, I have done it and how I need to own up to those things and not be judgmental towards myself. And I have decided that I didn't want to do to myself what the world is already doing. And so I have stopped judging and given myself the space to realize that I was born and um, that I have emotions and I get to know those and be with those and learn from those and Being with Dr. Joy, I have learned that I'm okay because I cry every day. And it's just those moments and the skill and the time it takes to birth yourself and remember that this is not your fault. Because the more you kind of take it out on yourself, the worse it gets. And you have to realize how you can be your own best everything. Friend, counselor, enemy. And what does that look like for you, for me? And uh, how can you be okay with that? And how can you not take out on yourself what the world has already taken out on you? And I've had to take time to figure that out for myself. And it's been very rewarding and emotional. You know, what you described to me sounds like what they call shadow work. So shadow work is like a process that you go through to uncover the ways in which your own fears or traumas have influenced your life or continue to influence your life. And also the process of truly accepting who you are. Um, it's kind of this exploration of personal and collective conscious where we like interrogate what we've learned or internalize, which influences how we show up in the world and like react to certain things. Um, acceptance is a hard thing, especially if you accept um, that there's not one way to do something. 
right? And it's not one way to be successful, especially if your barometer of success is built on a kind of white supremacist model that really wasn't meant for you. They say there's four stages, you know, in shadow work. The first is denial. Like it's you denying that you have work to do um, and that you must face that work. And then projection, noticing that um, you're doing more blaming of other people or systems than accepting the ways in which you might be giving away your own power. Um, or it's really about you and your inability to set boundaries or your inability to um, interrogate how some of the things you might have experienced as a young person are internalized and facts how you're showing up. Um, and then integration becomes this way in which you bring yourself, um, bring those characteristics of yourself um, and bring them to light and accept them and be honest about what they mean. Um, and then like transmutation is turning what you learned about who you are into something positive, making decisions about your own happiness, which might mean that certain people can't be a part of your tribe. Um, it might mean that certain platforms like Facebook aren't actually healthy for you. Um, it might mean that you're going to pay more attention to what your body tells you when you're having conflict. Do you need to remove yourself or disengage from that? Um, it might mean that the people who you call family, um, who you're supposed to be in connection with and love with, might not be good for you. Right? Um, and that's a hard thing to face. Like shadow work is this ways in which we begin to accept this is who we really are. Um, and we need to start setting boundaries to honor who we are so we can show up in our best selves. And that might, we might lose people. And that's hard. Like that's unbelievably hard work. And as you shared, Stacey, this idea that we might even reproduce the same pain that has been inflicted on us, right? That is a trauma response. I've been there. I've been doing my own healing work. And it has been a struggle. Um, it's also been a struggle as I try to get other people to honor how I choose to engage. That's, that's the part. When you create new boundaries and the folks around you who aren't doing that same kind of work can't understand your boundaries, that's hard. Um, because then they're wondering like, well, what's wrong with you? <laughs> right? And well, like, it takes some training. <laughs> I've experienced it myself. Um, that's That's been a hard part for me because there are people in the world that I love deeply, but if they can't respect my boundaries, I have to then also decide, so when and where can I engage with these individuals? And will I lose them in the process of honoring myself? Um, that's an acceptance piece. That's really hard. I discovered brown people's time in my journey I was like, the light bulb came on and I was like, okay, this has been used to like, as usual, lessen us and degrade us for arriving when we arrive. When I arrive, that's when I arrived and that is okay. And why you call it brown folks time or brown people's time, like we're late. No, I'm on time. And so I've had to really get my community and the people who say they support me in it to understand that, what that means for me to arrive through trauma and responsibility 
and everything it means to me to get there and for me to arrive and be okay with whatever time that is. Stacy, I want to thank you so much uh, for sharing your voice, your expertise, um, and your heart with us today. You know, choice is an illusion, but I think we also can choose our definition of success and freedom. Um, but that requires us to give up something, right? And are we willing to give that up, I think, to reaffirm our own humanity, despite the fact that everything around us in society tells us otherwise? Especially when homelessness, when homelessness is on the line. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I really, really appreciate you being here with us today. I'm honored to be in loving partnership um, and sisterhood with you. I'm always really um, in, enamored by the strength and wisdom of Black women. I believe deeply that if the nation were to listen to the things that Black women say, um, it would have to deconstruct much of its own identity. And that's why they fear so much of the words that we share. Thank you so much, Stacey. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How important it is to do what Dr. Brittany Lewis is doing and that you guys are doing with this podcast, letting people like me without degrees who haven't been to like HBCUs or anything where sometimes we feel, feel left out in the community, even though we have much knowledge and stuff to say, we don't get to show up as leaders and be present using our voices, we tend to just be like, get to show up in the space and then not invite it back to like teach and lead and use our voices in the space. And I thank Dr. Lewis for letting me be here today as me, because I've been like fighting to show up just as me and it's been working so far. And I'm just so proud and thankful today to get to be myself. I really, really appreciate you you sharing that. Um, and I also wanna um, reaffirm that, you know, something I tell my students when I'm teaching in the university is that I learn more from people like Stacy than any book in the university could ever taught me. Um, however, the way in which the university co-ops knowledge um, and tells us that black and brown voices don't actually matter because we're not the canon, right? The canon is a word we use to, to describe the voices we should care about. Every time I'm in the classroom or in a public teaching setting, I'm always raising up voices like Stacy. Because if we were listening to voices like Stacy, um, many of the social, political, and economic challenges that we're having, um, we would be way more upfront about and we'd have language around them that people understood. Um, we'd be talking more openly about practice change, not equity language that seems to loom um, as this performative way in which we're able to get away with saying we're about something but doing nothing if we just listened to people like Stacy. Um, 
So I, I will reiterate and continue to say how honored I am to be in partnership with you. Um, as I think about um, the role I want to play and how I want to use my both technical skills and access to elevate voices like yours. That's the work. And I'm just honored to be here and support you um, and your public scholarship, because that's what it is. So thank you. I just want to say thank you all. Thank you for this day. And I'm just grateful through COVID that, you know, we're able to be here to all who is even listening well enough to be here to listen, that we're here to be able to talk and tell that this day we're well. So in the eviction study, a major thematic kind of framework or theme that came out of the interviews came out of the series of questions that we asked about which resources they sought out to aid them in their crisis. And this was the point at which most tenants would cry in the interview. And I was really shocked, to be honest with you. I wasn't expecting that, meaning... They wouldn't even cry when they're talking about the actual thing that got them evicted. They're crying about asking for help. We couldn't, we couldn't neglect the theme. It just kept coming up. So the social service runaround is a phrase that we use to describe the dehumanizing process that you have to go through through the county to get help. And it's also connected directly to the paperwork, location, timing, and the process under which they have to go through to seek it. What was really common was that almost every support agency, local nonprofit, church, um, and other entity providing resources would tell tenants that you first have to get denied from Hennepin County in order to get their pot of money because presumably the county has the biggest pot, right? Because their federal funds trickle down to the state and then trickle down to the county. And because their funds are so limited, they have to go through a runaround, right? And then when they would describe going to Hennepin County, the kinds of questions that they were asked, I have no problem saying that these questions were extremely racist and intrusive. I never forget a tenant who told me one of the workers were wearing gloves. This implies something very specific about your comfortability with the people you're supposed to serve. I was floored. That was a part of these interviews that was unexpected. In my opinion, grounded research shouldn't assume anything. We had a series of questions that we co-developed with tenants, landlords, home line, the city, et cetera, for the purposes of unearthing what was behind the politics of an eviction. And let's be clear, an eviction, only 25% of these evictions actually resulted in a sheriff showing up and actually removing someone from their home. That's actually not what's common. Not it at all. I think that's our assumption. What's actually more common is that folks are given multiple UDs forced to go to housing court, and then forced into payment plans. But then they're forced into payment plans that they can't keep or probably won't make. And then they're forced to try to work something out with the landlord because with a new unlawful detainer on your record, you can't go anywhere else. It is a system. It is a process to keep people locked in. 25% of the folks that got evicted in our study actually got removed from the sheriff. That's not usually what happens. We assume that. 
There's so much more going on. And the social service runaround um, was just this mirrored process that almost continued to re-traumatize the family who was going through an eviction. I also learned this process that we are of seven states in the country where you can get evicted in less than two weeks in housing court, whereas it was taking an average of up to 30 days to find out if you got denied from Hennepin County. That math don't work. That's, in my opinion, data and research should pull out real facts, should identify programmatic pain points and areas for growth so we can talk about direct change. And that's what um, the Illusion of Choice report was all about. On behalf of Dr. Lewis and the production team behind Disruptive Narratives, I'd like to thank Stacey Bell for this conversation. We hope we've done your story justice. Disruptive Narratives is a production of KMOJ Radio and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities. Featuring Dr. Brittany Lewis, produced by Miranda Wilson, edited by Justice Sanchez. Made with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. To find more of our conversations, search for Disruptive Narratives wherever you find your podcasts.